food bank, just to, if, if you really can respond and respond promptly, I just sort of, if you like, bring an amen to what Christian said. Uh, some of you may know that food bank was mentioned in Prime Minister's Questions time this week. There are now 370,000 people every week in the UK being helped through food bank. And numbers of the food bank uh, agencies are having to pull back, not because they don't want to give, but because the uh, demand is so overwhelming. And we don't want to pull back, we want to do more. And uh, we are forever in Arena Church punching above our weight, to use a boxing term, but we want to keep doing that. And so if you can respond to that, if you're able, you may not be able to, but if you're able to not pay £2 a month, but pay £24 in one go, then that would help. Um, and if you can see Anne Simpson, then she'll gladly receive your cash or your cheque with regard to that. But friends, just an amen to that appeal, because... We want to keep meeting that incredible need that Chris so articulately uh, reminded us of this morning. And then we're going to pray. And um, we've been sat for a little time, so I'm going to just ask you to stand for a moment. You know that we pray often across the life of church. We, we can't, in a Sunday context, pray very often for every specific need, although we do pray for every specific need during the life of the church. But two uh, sort of... In very important, almost emergency needs have arisen this morning. Firstly, Bob, Bob's brother Roy Ty, Roy and Lynn that are with us on a very regular basis. It seems our Roy's had a suspected heart attack last night. We want to pray for him. And also Steve Addison, big Steve, uh, is in hospital with uh, uh, some problem with his legs. And I'd like his friends just to stand for a moment and believe that God's going to do something really great in these men for the glory of God. And that we pray, I'm going to include food bank in it as well, not just our food bank, but this prophetic call to church agencies all across the country to reach out to the poor. It's not just a good idea, friends, it's God. It's God doing something in the nation. And as Chris said, people are looking to the church because it's through the church that the many varied colors of God's wisdom will be declared to the principal. They're looking to us, friends, in a time of desperation and recession to say, what have you got to say? And we've got the amazing answer in Jesus. Let's just pray in Jesus' name. So, Father, we thank you that you're God. We thank you that we're not here by chance this morning, but, Lord, we're here in the eternal purpose of God. We may realize it, we may not realize it, but, Lord, we come to you today. We pray for Roy Ty right now, Lord, in Jesus' name, that, Lord, you will touch his heart physically, Lord. You will minister to him. We pray that all will be well. We pray for Lynn and the family, Lord, that you'll give them a great peace in Jesus' name. We pray for Steve Addison, Lord, that you will minister right now to his legs, Lord, in Jesus' name. Pray that swelling will reduce. We pray that it will be completely healed in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for Food Bank right across our nation, Lord, for all that it's doing. We pray that every need will be met in Jesus' name. We pray that tens of thousands of pounds will begin to fall to these projects in Jesus' name. We pray that people will be touched and helped for the glory of God and for the praise of your name. Now bless your word to our hearts and glorify your name for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you, friends. Amen. Amen. Well, we've already had a great word. And uh, five points beginning with W, that'll do for me, Chris. And, uh, and uh, <clears throat> we've been inspired. But we're just going to continue with this uh, series that we've been running for the last two or three weeks. The foundational verse is found in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, where Paul, writing to that church, says, <clears throat> Whether I'm hearing about you, or seeing you, or hearing about you in my absence, he said these words, that I will know that you will stand firm in one spirit, 
striving together as one man for the face of the gospel. And uh, we're talking about going forward together. Going forward together. And uh, the inspiration for this series, not that we've tried to copy uh, the material, really comes from some ministry, some teaching, and even some writing from a a great American leader called Patrick Lencioni, where he talks about dysfunctionality in a team. He talks about things that people never address and then wonder why they don't get to where they want to go, get to. And you know what? Somebody defined insanity as doing all, always what we've always done and thinking that we're going to get to somewhere else where we've never been. It doesn't work. There's got to be changes and shifts. And so we've sought to address one or two of the things. There's five bedrock truths to going forward together. And um, we reminded ourselves as we set a foundation for this two weeks ago that talking about going forward together is not because we are not together but so that we can be more together you see it's not to get us as i said from here to the other end of the platform in terms of the picture but it's to get us from here to there to get us from here to there that's what leadership does friends it it continually seeks to take us from where we are to where we need to go and the reality is that the reason we need leadership within a church to stir us and to, and to impassion us is that very often every one of us would like to stay where we are. And you can read that within the Bible. <clears throat> when the challenges came for people to move forward, very often the first response was, no, thanks very much because we like to stay where we are. But the moment we settle for that is the moment that we stop walking by faith. And it's the moment that we impede the destiny of God over our lives. We want to continually go forward. It means digging deeper into our lives. It will again this morning, right into our heart. It means being stronger so that we might advance together. We laid a foundation of engaging and believing and advancing together. And then last week, Christian talked about the challenge of the absence of trust when it operates within a corporate body. And when we're talking about the team here, we're talking about Arena Church. Because there's multiple teams within the team, but actually it's overarched by a team. It's called the Arena Community. And we love what God is doing. And when there's an absence of trust... <clears throat> then it's clear that progress will be painfully slow, torturous in fact, very, very slow. When we've got to analyze and think through and second guess everything that's taking place, trust needs to flow with the people of God because when that happens, progress is incredibly fast. And today's message, friends, is almost a paradox. It's a contradiction. It, because what we're trying to address this morning in going forward together is not only dealing with the absence of trust, but also dealing with the fear or avoidance of conflict. You may say to me, that's a bit of a weird message, Phil, because I thought the Bible was increasingly calling us to unity, togetherness, and like-mindedness. It, it really is. And if you don't believe me, let me give you one or two biblical examples 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace. Colossians 4, 13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. <clears throat> and so it goes on into Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. It says there that the body builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And then Ephesians 4 and verse 3, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And the understanding in the original New Testament text and language of that particular verse is that we labor, we sweat at keeping the unity of the Spirit. Peterson in the message says this about that verse. 
Let's steadily be pouring ourselves out for each other in acts of love. Alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. And right there we have got the dilemma, the challenge. Clearly, friends, if somebody was deliberately, intentionally and willfully harming the unity of the spirit of the fellowship of God's people, it would need to be addressed. But here's the truth. In the journey to all that God has asked us all to be together, sometimes there'll be tensions. Sometimes there'll be issues. Sometimes there'll be disagreements. And what most churches do is they pretend actually those things never happen. So they avoid addressing them. The heart of this message, friends, is that we might not trade on each other's niceness, but actually we might address those issues, solve them, and then get from here to there for the advancement of the kingdom. Let me mention niceness for a moment. I completely refute this thing that says nice people don't win anything. I think it's absolutely not on. Some of the nicest people, friends, that have ever lived in the earth have been incredibly successful in every strata of society. You don't have to go to work tomorrow be throwing your weight about to prove that you're the boss. You set a culture, friends, that people respond to in a completely different way. But here's the truth. Sometimes in church, we're so nice to each other, we never address the issue. See, I want to be thought of as being nice. What's wrong with that? And uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But you see, sometimes what churches have done is control the pastor's niceness to say, don't you ever say anything to me that needs to be addressed. So we fear conflict and we do not anything about it and we continually perpetuate the problem. And therefore we don't go forward together. Many teams in all sorts of contexts and certainly many churches never address this. They proverbially sweep it all under the carpet and the consequences can be devastating. Let me give you an example. I was listening to a teaching tape just recently and there was a statement made by the Bible teacher that made me shudder. To the extent that as I was preparing this ministry, I thought I need to do some research to authenticate the statement that he made to see if it was true. Because it shows the problem sometimes of the fear of conflict in going forward together. But he said these words, and out of research I've been able to confirm them, that in the USA alone, in the Christian church, every year 18,000, 18,000, 1,500 pastors, leaders a month leave the ministry. And one of the major reasons they leave the ministry is an inability to resolve conflict. I want to suggest, friends, that's a lot of ministerial wreckage that the Church of Jesus Christ can ill afford. You know, friends, that for every ten pastors that go into the ministry, only one gets to retirement age. And the reason for that often is because of an inability for them to address conflict. They get controlled by their niceness. And the core, friends, for us is as as an authentic community of people to genuinely be together, not fudged, not fake, not false, but real community. That when tensions, disagreements and issues arise, we actually address them in the spirit of Christ. I'll come to that later. Now you may say to me, well, this doesn't sound very Bible. But actually, I love the Bible because the Bible is just an incredible book. And to quote the old cliche, it gives it to, it gives it to us warts and all. 
So let me give you briefly three examples of conflict in the New Testament church that they sought to resolve. If you went to Acts chapter 10, you'll find there that there was a supernatural calling of Peter to go to the house of Cornelius. The gospel to that point in Acts chapter 10 was primarily still being contained within ethnic Judaism. Most of the people that had come to Jesus by that time were Jewish by birth. And God was about to change. Because the gospel, friends, is not defined by ethnicity. It wasn't then, and it isn't now. It's not defined by the color of your skin, your postcode, where you've been born. God loves the world. He loves everybody. He's not willing that any should perish. And he was about to send a spiritual tsunami into the church that was going to change it forever. For me, friends, Acts chapter 10 is the pivotal chapter of the New Testament because it defined the gospel in all that it was intended to be. And so you know the story, some of you, and I'll move it very quickly in the sense that Cornelius, out of a supernatural direction from Peter to go and see him, committed his... His, uh, his life to the Lord, got filled with the Holy Spirit and then got baptized. That was wonderfully put in as wisdom so that we don't make that formulaic either. So some folks fancy get filled with the Spirit before they get a chance to get baptized in water. And the thing is that the Gentiles began to be birthed in the power of the gospel. Fast forward to Acts chapter 15. Because Paul and Barnabas were now working together as an apostolic team. <clears throat> And in Acts chapter 15, we find that there was a council or a conference called in Jerusalem of the Christian leaders. I'm going to our national conference a week on Tuesday. And uh, we used to spend a lot of time, a lot of time, calling, debating certain things. It's a little less so nowadays, but it's a coming together of leaders. And here at this uh, Christian conference in Jerusalem, it says in Acts 15 and verse 2 that Paul and Barnabas were speaking up for what was taking place and uh, the fury that it had caused. And it says that they, they <clears throat> faced them up in terms of what God was doing. They brought, it brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Well, that sounds like a conflict to me. And uh, <clears throat> so they thrashed it out. By the time we got to verses 24 to 29, the conference says it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit not to burden these people with the things that we think they ought to do because they're not Jews. The whole issue was, well, you ought to go through some Jewish religious rites and ceremonies, e.g. circumcision, to prove that you're a real Christian. Paul and Barnabas says, we're not going there. We're not going there. And it seemed good to them and the Holy Spirit to come to an agreement that that was absolutely fine. This was, in, this was crucial, friends. If they got this wrong, what was the potential of us being here today? But they allowed the gospel to find its shape and its color to reach out to all men regardless of their backgrounds. So in Acts chapter 15, we get Paul and Barnabas agreeing. But later on in Acts chapter 15, we get Paul and Barnabas disagreeing. Because in verse 39, they got a problem. It was over a young man. <clears throat> if I can say to our young people respectfully, there's been more than one disagreement over young people over the years. As you emerge in your gifting, your abilities, your talents, your passion. So Paul and Barnabas, he says in verse 39, had a sharp disagreement. The language is stronger than that. It literally means they were torn apart. And the reason was, it was over a 
a young man, his name was John Mark. On the first missionary journey, he bailed out. He went on before they finished the missionary trek. And Paul was not pleased. Barnabas says, well, we're going to take him on the next one. He says, not on your life. Is he coming on my team? Remember, friends, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, who went to get Paul from Tarsus, where he'd been in anonymity for 13 years? Barnabas. And why did we call him Barnabas? Because that wasn't his original name. It's because he was called the son of encouragement. Friends, the, the... we know that God's sovereign, but the reality is we got Paul's amazing apostolic ministry across the New Testament church because somebody went to where he was, said, will you come and help me in Antioch, minister to these people? And the rest is history. But now they're torn apart. Fourteen times in the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas are mentioned in tandem. If I say Morecambe, you say wise. If I say Ant, you say deck and if I say Paul you say Barnabas that's how it works you see they worked in tandem I was trying to bridge the generations there did you notice that <laughs> if you don't know more come and wise come and see me afterwards all right. uh, I don't know whether Paul and Barnabas were as funny as the two other guys that I've mentioned but the reality friends it went together it went together we used to have them in assemblies of God if I said Dennis Robson, you said Ray Westbrook. For years, they worked in tandem, just did things together. And so it went on with lots and lots of people. But something came. And in this particular instance, friends, the only issue that they could deal with to work it forward is that they went their own ways. Their strengths became their weaknesses. Interestingly, you will never read anywhere in the New Testament of Paul speaking against Barnabas or Barnabas speaking against Paul. And I'll come back to John Mark a little bit later on, and it's good news, guys. And then briefly in Galatians chapter 2, he says that Paul opposed Peter to his face. I don't know how close he got, but it sounds like one of those. Why? Because going back to Acts chapter 10, and then this is in Acts chapter 15, by the time we got to Galatians 2, Paul thought that Peter was compromising on the decisions that had been made previously, And he was okay with the Gentiles when the Jewish believers weren't there, but when the Jewish believers went there, he ran to that clique and ignored the Gentile believers. Paul said, you're out of line. They had a disagreement. And they did it face to face. Hear me, friends. If we've got people coming to the arena community that are deliberately opposed to what we stand for doctrinally and morally, it needs to be addressed. But also relationally. We just completed in the 242 Discipleship Teaching a journey through Philippians. It's a wonderful book. Great book of joy. There's only one rebuke in the whole of the book. It's about relationships. Acts chapter 4, I plead to you, Odeus and Syntyche, that you be of the same mind one to another. Here's the truth, friends. Here's why this ministry is challenging. Here's why we don't hear it very often. Because, oh, let's just leave it and it's going to be all right. And we want to get there here. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And here's the truth. The reality of gifted, sparky, passionate people working together means at times we rub against each other and not always for good reasons. But here's the truth. We ignore the tensions of that. 
to our detriment. Because the implications are that that sort of approach to church becomes generational. In other words, we pass it on to the next group. And the next group never address any issues. And it gets laid into the fabric of the church. It also becomes spiritual. Because the Christian community becomes compromised. It becomes recognizable. We talked on Tuesday night about the atmosphere. And when things lie unresolved in the church, something affects the atmosphere. An arena church is passionate about a great atmosphere. Call it the presence of God, the touch of the Lord, the glory, whatever you want to call it. But we're passionate about people, both believers and people that have never been to the church before, sensing that God is amongst us. If that's the truth, friends, we've got to lay a welcome mat out that says he's, he's here, and we're glad that he's here, and it means addressing some of those things. And fourthly, if we don't continue to deal with these things, it actually potentially becomes terminal, and the church dies. That's the reality of what God is trying to get to us. So in the closing moments of the message, what commitments can we bring that help us go forward together that means on occasions... We've got to work through the issue of not fearing or avoiding conflicts, but dealing with it so we can really get to where God wants us to be. Someone said recently that the biggest barrier to succeeding in this area is ourselves. So I want to give you um, five things very briefly that we need to give ourselves to that by God's grace helps this work. For his praise. Firstly, we need to give ourselves to Christ-likeness. Philippians chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 3 says that we are to be like-minded. He talks about Jesus and we're to be like-minded. You say, well, I don't feel very much like Jesus at times. No, we all feel like, but that's the pursuit, friends. That's the journey. Not in your own efforts. As I said last Sunday night at, at, um, at Mansfield, We're to grow in grace, not to it. You can't grow to grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's not what you deserve, but God gives it to you anyway. But then you grow in what God is doing. You can't get to Christ-likeness, but you can grow in it because when you gave your life to him, he by his spirit lived in you to make Jesus real in your life and to become more and more like him in the journey. Christ-likeness. Read the Gospels and Jesus continually negotiated conflict, not by avoiding it, but dealing it with it. And he did it in a God-honoring, Christ-like way. And so must we. Number two, we need to give ourselves to culture, which we talked about. And thank you for all those people that came to Cannonball on Tuesday evening. I'm talking now about the particular values, ethos, sets of behavioral patterns that mesh and merges together in Arena Church. We're not saying that we've got it all together, but we've got a defined value system that we believe God's laid into our hearts that helps us all to keep on track. And Christine sent some information out about helping you if you've never done a DNA course or never understood what those values are. We've committed it to print. It's articulated, and Christine will take you through that sort of the week after welcome night. Be happy to share and answer your questions. But let me talk to you for a moment. Let me just remind you of one of the things that we've got down regarding unity, the passion for oneness in the church, not uniformity. There's different temperaments and gifts all around this room. We celebrate that. But unity. 
And see, the culture of Matthew 18, which is part of Arena Church, is that if you've got a problem with me, you don't go to somebody else, you come to me. That's the culture. That's maturity. And here's how we've defined it. We will work out our unity practically. So we don't, where necessary, avoid or fear conflict. This is what we say. If you have a problem with me, come to me privately. If I have a problem with you, I'll come to you privately. If someone has a problem with me and comes to you, you send them to me. And I'll do the same for you. That's culture. See, Facebook's been mentioned a few times this morning. If you've got a problem with me, I don't want you venting your spleen on Facebook about it. I want you to come and talk to me, please. If I've said something inappropriate, if it was a joke that got out of hand, if somehow you felt some hurts, even if it was unintended, come to me. You will have an immediate apology. I am sorry. We'll pray together. We'll move on. Why don't churches do that, friends? Because somehow something gets laid in that says, well, we'll avoid it. And then you spend the next five years having a problem with me rather than coming to talk to me. If I've got a problem with you, friends, then I'm going to come and talk to you. I'm not going to talk to somebody else in the church about it. And I'm going to seek to make repair and make the relationship all that God has called it to be. See, this is tough stuff. That's why most churches don't do it. But God has called us, friends, to buy into what he's called us to do. The third thing is candor. Not candy, but candor. C-A-N-D-O-U-R. There's a misquoted verse in Ephesians chapter 4 that says, Speaking the truth in love. Let me take you to some Wednesday night when I fancied a night in watching the Champions League, but somebody uh, encouraged me to sort of go and see them. It was a very urgent meeting. They were passionate. They were insistent on the door on the Sunday that I ought to go and see them. I'd not got anything in my diary, but I couldn't put it off. My foreboding regarding that meeting is intensified when I'm greeted by these words. Now, we're going to share with you. But you need to know we're only speaking the truth in love. And for the next two hours, friends, it becomes neither truthful nor loving. <clears throat> As people spill out what they think about me or a particular context, and if you've been a leader, then you've been in those situations in the past. This is not what we're talking about here. You see, the misquoted verse in the context of Ephesians 4 is not to destroy us out of carnality, but to help us come to maturity. Because if you read the following verse, so that we may all work together for the unity of the Spirit. What does the word candor mean? It means to be frank, to be open, to be sincere in speech. The original meaning of the word means this, extreme whiteness. Extreme whiteness. In other words, radiance and purity. Wow. If we all gave ourselves to candor, remember I've prefaced it by Christ-likeness and culture, then we really would see an amazing togetherness that draws heaven to earth. The fourth thing is consultancy. Because in Matthew 18, it says that sometimes if you can't sort it out on your own, you may need to call help from somebody else. The best thing is that you can sort it out with the person. But occasionally, you may need to say in stroke to elders of the church, team leaders, people have some sort of direction into your life. Will you just come and sit in on this and help us through it, please? It happens in the worlds of politics and industry, 
all the time. <clears throat> How do you think that we came, whatever you think about it, to the Northern Ireland Agreement? <laughs> well, people had to sit in the middle and act as consultants. And of course, years ago, when we were reminded of it recently, we had many strikes in our nation. And very often they would bring ACAS in. ACAS would sit between the bosses and the unions, the reason being that they needed consultancy. And very often people can come friends with a clearer, wider, purer perspective than you're seeing. They take the emotion out of it and they help you to come to a common agreement. We need to do it more. And then fifthly, we need compromise. Compromise? You stood on that platform for the last few years saying, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And now you're telling us to compromise. I tell you, friends, I tell you, it was a difficult message. You're going to have to hear me really, really carefully. Otherwise, you're going to get it wrong. I'm not talking, friends, about compromising with our faith at all. <clears throat> I'm choosing... I'm asking us this morning that we choose the hills in which we die on. You see, Arena Church's challenge, Christian will tell you this, to compromise all the time. We are challenged to compromise on our moral stance. We are, for instance, recently challenged to compromise on the Christian view of marriage. We are on occasions criticized for not being, in quote, tolerant, inclusive, and in the real world. You need to get in the real world. Well, you've heard Chris this morning, we're in the real world. But we want to change the real world for the glory of God. And so again and again, as this man sits with agencies in this town and beyond, he's continually challenged to compromise. Sometimes people will throw pound signs at him and say, well, if you were this and that, you might get this. And there are areas, friends, where we're not going to compromise because they are hills that we will die on. They really are. If somebody says, we'd love to come to your church, but we don't believe the Bible, and if you didn't believe the Bible anymore, we'd come to your church, there's no compromise. It's a hill to die on. We believe in the inspired, inerrant word of God. And so we could go on. If somebody said, I'd love to come to your church, but I don't believe that Jesus is the only way to God. And you need to realize in this pluralistic society that most people don't believe it's the only way to God. So if you'd allow me to come to your church, I'll serve on Chris's team. I'll come on the platform. But please don't ask me to say that Jesus is the only way to God. No compromise. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And we live with a continual tension in being, in quotes, an uncompromising church that is passionate and compassionate about reaching the communities where God has placed us. And you need to pray for us because it's no easy line to walk on occasions. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about you giving away yourself for the greater cause of what God is trying to do. You see, you might think that buying an ice cream on a Sunday is a hill to die on. Let me tell you, it's not. You may think that people getting up here preaching with jeans on is a hill to die on. I sometimes... No, I don't, but... <laughs> Somebody said to me on Tuesday, you've got jeans on. I said, yeah, never on Sundays, you know. <laughs> I'm a boomer, you know. <laughs> it's not a hill to die on. And being strong means that we can also be meek, which means strengthen the control. 
Being convinced means that we can also compromise. You see, going back to Paul and Barnabas, the pragmatist and the pastor just couldn't get it together. The activist and the encourager just couldn't see eye to eye. But maybe there was compromise. Because 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says, get John Mark and bring him with you. Because he is helpful to my ministry. Paul Scallon, who's been an exceptional leader in this generation in the Christian church in the UK, was once asked in a question and answer session, and the person got the answer they weren't expecting. Mr. Scanlon, how often do you compromise? His answer was, all the time. <laughs> all the time. So here's the truth, friends. There are issues where we are uncompromising, but the, for the cause of going forward together with absolute integrity, we are compromising all of the time. Not for the hills that we want to die on, but for the things that don't really matter. And here's the truth. Most Christian divisions over the years, be they local church or denominational, have normally been over things that don't really matter. That's the subtlety of the enemy. I hope you've heard me right this morning. Let me just re-emphasize, this is not a call to conflict. It is not a call to disunity. It is not a call for people to bag the church with impunity. But it is a call to face the reality that in our journey, sometimes we'll face tensions, we'll face challenges, we'll face issues interpersonally and relationally. Most churches say, let's not deal with it, and they get to hear. But the call over Arena Church this morning is that we don't fear or avoid conflict. So we get to hear. In other words, the ultimate destiny that God has destined us to be for such a time as this, under the umbrella of what we call Arena Church. And how can we do that? <clears throat> By giving ourselves to Christ-likeness, a great Christ-like spirit. By giving ourselves to the culture that defines this church, where we really will sort things out one-on-one -on -one if necessary. Where we'll give ourselves to candor and consultancy where necessary, where we'll draw people in. And yes, if you hear the word rightly, we'll give ourselves to compromise. President Abraham Lincoln, post the war that blighted America, was challenged by a lady to say, why don't we get and sort out all those people that caused us problems, that caused the war? And Lincoln said this with a great spirit of reconciliation, do I not destroy my enemy by making them my friends? Arena Church, may great grace be on us in these challenging days. Let's address the absence of trust. And this morning, in uh, however uh, way I've managed to get it across, let's, on those occasions that are necessary, not avoid the fear or avoidance of conflict, because the greater cause is always that we go forward together. Amen.